welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. If you want to have your Bibles open, we'll be in Jonah chapter 1. I hope you're enjoying this sermon series uh, so far in Jonah. And if you've missed some weeks, you can check out our YouTube channel. We uh, put everything up uh, after uh, we do this service each week. And you'll find all our messages there. Um, and we are going to continue through Jonah for the next several weeks and think that the Lord's going to continue to speak to us. Hey, I just want to pause uh, before we dig into God's Word and just ask, how are you doing today? You know, how are you feeling? What are you thinking about? What keeps you up at night, right? Uh, because I think God has a word for each one of us. God has a word for us as a community at CPC, of course, for those of you listening at home as well. But God has a word for you specifically as well, that we trust the Holy Spirit wants to lean into our lives, that this one who knows our hearts, our minds, that God is able to search you and know you now and help you ingest this word and to do something with it that might glorify him and, and, and bless you as well as you serve others. So let, let me to pray, allow me to, to lead us in a short prayer. Join me. God, We know that you are present. We know that you are near. We believe, Lord, that you are good. Would you reveal to us your word to us as a community and to us personally? Speak to us, lead us, guide us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now, as we've looked at Jonah, I've made this claim before that far from it being this just a short book about a man who gets swallowed by a giant fish. It's actually a masterfully crafted piece of literature. It has two distinct but parallel stories of Jonah first and the pagan sailors, and then a second half of Jonah and the pagan city. And what we're going to see that this entire story is satirical in nature. It's the one who should be faithful is disobedient, And the ones who should be faithless are the obedient ones. We see it again and again in the story. And in fact, in Jonah 1, verses 4 through 6, to give you the context, it says the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. Arise, Jonah, call out to your God. This is the third time that the word arise appears in the story. God's word had called Jonah to arise and go to the pagans, go to Nineveh, go to these others who don't know my name. And so Jonah says, yes, God, I'm going to arise and go this way. That's exactly what the Bible says. He's called to arise and go to Nineveh, and he arises and goes to Joppa instead. And this is the third time where we see, and this pagan captain actually echoes the words of Yahweh God himself when he says, Arise, Jonah. God is using a non-believer to call his own prophet to get up and to get out. Jonah refused to arise when God had called him. And so when God speaks, I will ask you today, will you get up and will you go? Or will you turn away? What is your response when God calls you to arise and follow me to a place I will show you? What will be your decision? See, when I was 16 years old, 
God called to me to arise. Tim, rise up out of your self-centeredness. Rise up out of your depression. Rise up. And he gave me the power to say yes. And I have never been the same since I said yes to Jesus. My life has been transformed. So friends, say yes when God calls. See, these sailors assumed that there was some divine being who had the power to stop the storm that they were in, and they were right. Now, I want to remind you, as I said a couple weeks ago, not every storm you're going through is a result of someone's specific sin. But in this case, the sailors were right. This storm was because of Jonah's specific sin. And again, the irony is that the non-believing sailors are seeking God's will more than the prophet of God, Jonah. Jonah's trying to escape God's presence, which is ridiculous, by fleeing on the sea. And yet God is relentless to pursue him. God's mercy is seen throughout this book again and again and again. Now, a word about the sea. Keep in mind, the Jews were not seafaring people. They were desert nomads. Now, I know some of you Bible scholars out there will say, oh, Pastor Tim, I've read the Bible, and Jesus and his disciples, they're on the sea all the time, fishing and walking on water, all kinds of things. And that's true. But the Sea of Galilee, where we see Jesus, is a lake. It's a freshwater lake. I've been there. It's not even that big. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But it's a lake. And it is only called the sea by tradition. So for all of Israel's history, from Father Abraham all the way into the divided kingdom, the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews are known as land people, people of the land. Now, there are ancient cultural stories as well that depicted the sea as a monstrous beast. This was a place that the god Baal, was, who was the lord of the heavens, would battle with the god Yam, who is the god of the seas. And Genesis 1-2, to give you a biblical vision, it begins the entire scriptures describing the world as chaotic waters until God's spirit comes in. And then we see the Psalms describing the sea as a dangerous place, Psalm 30, Psalm 69. And only God could control the sea and its evil, Psalm 65, Psalm 77, 89, 93, Exodus, Isaiah. Daniel's description as well of the sea are, is a place of these great beasts and there's terror and it's, the sea is the home of evil and only God can control its chaos. That's Daniel chapter 7. And then the last book of the Bible, Revelation, again describes a new heavenly earth that has no more sea and all the surfers say, bummer. To the ancient Jew, the sea represented separation. It represented separation from God. So instead of Jonah choosing to obey God's word and to go to Nineveh to preach and embrace these others with the word of God, what does Jonah do? He runs away to the last place that a Jew would want to go, to the sea. Jonah would rather run towards darkness than be in the center of God's will. And so we get to ask ourselves this morning, is there anything in our hearts and lives that are like that? That we'd rather run away from God's will and run to places of disobedience? We'd rather run into places of darkness and separation from God than run into the arms of embrace of God. We need to check our own hearts. 
if we're running in the wrong direction. And yet, throughout the book, again, God's mercy is evident. Even when we run away, God does not abandon us. But friends, still, don't run away from God. Run towards him. He's ready to embrace you. In Jonah 1, verse 5, it says that the mariners were afraid, and they each cried out to his God. See, facing their own death, they cast lots in order to coax the God behind the storm to give them a clue what's going on. Verse 7, it says, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now, in the ancient world, Casting lots was an acceptable form of making decisions. It's similar maybe to throwing dice or pulling numbers um, out of a hat, right? And I want to pause to say here, because Pastor Tim, I need to mention, I get a lot of emails after I preach all the time. So Pastor Tim is not encouraging anyone to go roll dice in any said casinos, whether legal or illegal, nor I'm encouraging anyone to play the lottery or gamble in any way, though if you're successful, our finance committee would love to speak with you. But I'm not encouraging any of this. But the Bible does talk about godly people casting lots to make important decisions. Proverbs 16.3, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This is in your Bible. The Holy Land was parceled out by sacred lots, Joshua 18. Saul was chosen to be king by lot, 1 Samuel 10. Before the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Matthias was chosen by the casting of lots to replace Judas as the 12th apostle. That's Acts 1. And so I want to let you know it's in your Bible that casting lots, we can have evidence that people of faith did this to discern God's will. There are even some American Protestant Bible-believing churches today. This is how they pick elders. They put names into a hat, and they mix them up, and whatever name gets pulled out, you're an elder for the next year. There are some churches that do that. We don't do that. We're Presbyterian. we got this whole process and subcommittees, and it's a very thorough thing, and then you vote on it as a covenant partner. But people do still cast lots to determine God's well, so here's what I want to say. Though there is biblical precedent for Christians today to cast lots to make important decisions, it's probable that the disappearance of the practice in casting lots in Scripture follows the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We see in Romans 8, who is the great guide is the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if in our real life we actually cast lots for all these important decisions? Maybe elders, or maybe imagine me at age 28, still single, looking for my future bride before I married Katie, mix up the names, and oh, is there a Katie Scott in the house? Lucky you, you're the winner. Can you imagine? Jonah 1.7 says, they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. So in this case, it worked, but I don't think there's precedent for us to make this a regular occurrence as Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled Christians. And in fact, quite honestly, if you have an important decision coming up that you need to make, we would love to pray with you. We won't be rolling dice. We're not going to be pulling things out of a hat. No magic eight ball. We would love to pray with you. Ask the Spirit to give us wisdom, give us guidance, show us from his word how he is leading us towards his will. We're going to see here that the lots point towards Jonah. Look at verse 8. It says this, tell us, Jonah, on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They want to know basically three things. 
What's your purpose? What's your place? And what's your people? They know Jonah must somehow be connected to this storm, to a specific God that might help them get out of this life-ending predicament. So what they're really asking is this, to which God do you belong? Help us out. We're about to die. Which God? Isn't that a good question for us? To which God do you belong? Or really it's saying this, to whom do you belong? That's a good question. These sailors that are talking to Jonah likely worship other false gods, gods of Baal, gods of Ham, gods of Yam, gods of Baruch or Maruk. They weren't real and they certainly couldn't offer anything that would save them from the storm. And perhaps you're listening today and you don't follow Jesus. Maybe you look to Buddha to give you enlightenment. Maybe you look to nature to connect you to the greater force that you sense out there. Uh, Maybe you really are intrigued by Eastern mysticism and the interconnectedness of, of everything, rocks and trees and animals. The Bible would say those gods aren't going to lead you to life. They're not real. Or maybe a lot of us here would say we have other kinds of gods, money, success, power, beauty, our career, our reputation, the illusions of safety, illusions of control, illusions of certainty. Well, guess what? None of these gods are going to save us either. Remember earlier, the captain came down to wake up Jonah and he asked him to pray to his God. But the Bible remains silent if Jonah ever prayed. If someone asked you, to whom do you belong? Would you, would you be able to respond, I belong to Jesus? I'm not telling you to be weird about it or mean or arrogant about it. Whom do you belong Jesus, Jesus is my shelter in the storm. Jesus is my only sure way of knowing. My future is secure and my, and my, presence makes, my present makes sense. To whom do you belong? See, now that the lot has fallen to Jonah, they plead for him to answer. I want you to notice how he answers first. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. Now, I want you to remember, this is very interesting because Jonah is running away from Nineveh because it's the capital of the Assyrians who are the enemies of the Jews. This is why he's really running away from God. And so I suspect that as opposed to Jonah being godly at this point, being repentant at this point, he's actually being a little snarky still. Well, I'm a Hebrew, which is very ironic, you're going to see. For Jonah, I think he'd rather cling to his identity than to obey the word of God. I think his national identity was more important than the call of God had on him. I'm speculating. That's my suspicion. I'm a Hebrew, is what he says. Nothing wrong with being a Hebrew, but God called that Hebrew to go preach to the non-Hebrews. And he said, no, I won't do that. And we're going to see later all of his reasons. See, the apostle Paul would later say that the true Hebrew is the one who puts their faith in Christ, Galatians 3, 7. You want to be close to God? You know what your true identity should be? In Jesus alone. See, it's not your nationality or it's not these other false gods, whatever you want to call them. It's your faith and obedience to the one who is Lord of Israel and Lord of the universe. 
And guess what, Lord, of your life, if you would say yes, if you would confess him, if you'd say you're sorry, if you would confess your need, that there is a gap between you and God that, that you cannot make up on your own, that's only Christ's righteousness made through the cross, his death, his resurrection. That's it. It's Jesus. To whom do you belong? Lay down any allegiance that competes with your citizenship in heaven. Lay it down. In verse 9, Jonah responds. He continues. He says, well, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then for the men knew that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, Jonah tells them the name of his God that brought the storm. It's Yahweh. It's the Jewish God, the God of the Hebrews. And Jonah is basically saying this. Well, my God, Yahweh, he's the true Lord of heaven, not Baal, not your God. My God is the true Lord of the sea, not your God, Yam. My God delivered the Jews from Egypt and brought them through the desert into the promised land, the God of the Hebrews. See, Jonah's answer would have been a direct contrast to the sailors' gods whom they believe ruled the heavens, the sea, and the land. And so at first, again, you might think Jonah's being uh, godly or righteous or even repentant. I don't think so. I think he's still being kind of snarky here. It sounds spiritual, but it's really ironic because Jonah has been disobeying God by refusing to preach in Nineveh, disobeying God and endangering the lives of these pagan crew members because of his sin. He's sleeping off his guilt and refuses to pray to God, the God that he knows he's running away from. And I suspect Jonah could have repented on the spot and calmed the storm. But you're going to see later he does something different. I'm not convinced Jonah is being repentant here, personally. And perhaps Jonah was embarrassed to answer their first question about his occupation. Because he already had told them he was running away from God. But he may not have mentioned the detail that he's a prophet of God. He works for God. Reminds me of a story of a wife. It's a Sunday morning. She wakes up her husband. We're late for church. Wake up. The husband turns to her sleepily and says, ah, I'm tired. I don't want to go to church. I don't even like the church. And then she says, honey, you're the pastor. (laughs) Jonah is a prophet of God. Doesn't want to wake up. He doesn't want to embrace the ones that God is pointing him to. How shameful it must have been for Jonah to admit that he was the reason why their lives are at stake and also admit that he's on the run from his own God that he claims to serve, who is the God of the sea and God of the land and God of the heavens. See the irony here? This must have been shameful for him. So the question again comes back to us. To whom do you belong? I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Mark 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And lose his soul. Lose his soul to false gods. Lose his, lose his soul to religiosity without a true relationship with Jesus. To lose his soul to religious sounding words or what looks like spirituality. But it's not the Holy Spirit. What is a prophet? You, to gain the whole world and lose yourself. Because you never lost yourself in Jesus. Losing your life to find it. See, when the storms force you to ask, to whom do you belong? What will be your answer? Because only saving faith in Jesus Christ will bring the forgiveness you need and the abundant life that Jesus offers 
Don't cling to other identities that can't save you. Christians, don't settle for lesser gods that lead you astray. Don't waste your time. Jonah is wasting time. God's going to get his way. Say yes. Arise when God calls you to arise. Don't settle. You know, I've been counseling people this past year plus, going through different storms. And honestly, when it comes down to it, I don't know if this is great advice, but I basically say, cling to Jesus. I don't have answers for all the good questions out there, but I'm going to keep clinging to Jesus. I believe his words. I believe he is the way, the truth, the life. Let's keep clinging to him. And guess what you're going to find? You're going to find a God who's clinging onto you. And he's got a pretty good grip. He's asking us to pay attention and to say yes. To whom do you belong? Let's say yes to Jesus. There's a second good question. In verse 8, they ask, what is your occupation? Now, one scholar I was reading noted the word in Hebrew for that word occupation is the word malaka. And it means mission. It's not just asking what your job is. What's your mission? What's your purpose? What do you, what do, you do but like at a deep level? And we're reminded that Jonah refused the very mission that God asked him to fulfill because Jonah didn't like it. He said no to the mission that God had purposed him for. Jonah was hiding his occupation. He was running from his call. And guess what? You can run from God too, but you can't hide. You really can't. Jonah's fooling himself. Mercy, ultimately, God gets his way. Surprise, surprise. You can't hide. You know, God first calls you to himself. in saving faith. That's a first call. But you know, God, in a sense, is a second call. He calls you to himself, and then he calls you towards his heart. And his heart is for lost people. He called Jonah to follow God's heart on his mission to reach lost people, to embrace the other with the word of God. And Jonah's like, nope, I like being saved, but I don't like to serve, is what Jonah is saying. I like the salvation part, but the service part, it'll be on my terms. I want to go to only good people. I want to go to only certain, certain people of certain nationalities. I want to go to certain people who, who look a certain way. Jonah says, I will, I will serve you in my terms. And God's like, oh, no, 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 that's not how it works. You don't serve me on your terms. You serve me on my terms. See, God has a heart for lost Nineveh. God has a heart for lost people. You know, our mission statement says, we glorify God and we make disciples by connecting people to Christ through small acts of great love every day. God's heart is to connect people to Jesus Christ. Each one of us have an opportunity to help someone take another step deeper into relationship with Jesus. You know, I have some uh, neighbors who know I'm not, uh, I don't have the same faith as theirs. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, you know, if you're watching, he never watches, but if you're watching, it's, he makes fun of me and what I believe. And we have a, but, you know, we love each other. You know, it's, it's up to God. It's God's job to help someone to see the truth. It's not my job. My job is to be faithful right? My job is simply to respond to the call and, you know, love him. And, and, he, and he loves me. So it's up to the Lord. I'm not telling you to go knock on your neighbor's door today and then throw a Bible at them and then run away. You know, like, 
Ding dong. Like, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you to be faithful, though. I'm telling you to be creative, be loving. Yes, God has called you to himself, and he calls you to his heart. And his heart is for those who are not yet connected to Christ in a saving way. You know, we have an occupation. We have a malacca. We have a mission, and it's to go and be a disciple maker. And so before we start pointing fingers at Jonah, we need a point of ourselves. Because in Matthew 28, Jesus says it clearly. Your malacca, your mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. There's your job. How are you a part of that? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are called to know Jesus, and then we're called to share Jesus. You're called to saving faith in him first. You know, the second kind of call, you're called to serve him. And in a broad way, for us as a church at CPC, we are called to be a light to our community and to our world. But I think there's a third call. There's a third call related to all these. There's a specific personal call that God has on your life. It's not just for pastors, for people in ministry, for you. God has wired you and shaped you to live your life during your span of life in whatever place of work or whatever you're doing with your giftings and and desires. He has shaped you and placed you to serve him in a specific way for his glory. I don't know what that is for you. I continue to ask God what that might be for me. I think I have an idea of some of the things he wants me to do. I think I'm living into some of those. But let me ask you, do you know what mission God has for you in this stage of your life? Because life changes, and we need to ask that question of God. Again, of God, in this stage of life, my time, my age, my giftings, these desires, God, where are you pointing me to serve you, to glorify you? Do you know what mission God has for you? I'm going to give you four questions to think about to help you lean into that. I've used this all the time with different people I've prayed with, trying to find out as a follower of Christ who's committed to serving God, what specifically might God have me do in this season? First question is, what do you love doing? God may have made you, wired you to love something. That might be from God, whatever that thing is. Second question, what are you good at? Not just what you love, but what are you good at? That God may have made you good at something that he intends to glorify himself through you using that. So what do you love doing? What are you good at? Third important question, what's a need in the world that burdens you, that tugs at you? God may have given you that burden. Something you love, something you're good at, a burden. And we need to ask a bigger question that envelops all of this. What's most God-glorifying? What would glorify God the most? with something I love, something I'm good at, and a burden on my heart. See those four questions? I call that a personal call, or some people call it a heart call. It's not just for pastors. It's for anybody who knows Jesus. Ephesians 2, Paul says that God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. He means that corporately, but he means it individually. Every good work you do is God's idea in Jesus. This is God's work. That's a prayer, sharing the gospel, serving a cup of cold water to, to a little one, starting a nonprofit, leading a Bible study, you name it. If it's anything good centered around Jesus, Ephesians 2 says that was God's idea. God has other things prepared in advance for you to do. 
So let me ask you again, what's your mission? What's your malaka? What's your purpose? Yes, it's to know God, saving faith. Secondly, it's yes, it's to be committed to go and make disciples in a very broad way as, as the church, as a community of faith. But specifically, right now, in this season of your life, what is God calling you to join him in mission? At the intersection of all these answers, it can point you to a specific mission that God has for you. So I want you to be ready when God calls and to say yes. You know, maybe you're not running away from God, but you might be closing your ears to his call. You might have enough noise in your life that you're just hard to pay attention to what the Spirit's trying to say. Maybe God is calling you to get a little less noisy in your life. So I'm going to ask you, pray to God that you would open your heart and ears to him. And I ask you again, have you embraced the reality that you are on this earth to be on God's mission, not your own personal private mission? It's God's mission that you are to join him on. Because God first calls you to himself, and then he calls you to join him on his mission. And so let's not run away like Jonah, right? Running away from God's will, he thinks. But let's rest in the reality that God has a good and fulfilling call for us as we choose to be obedient to him. And friends, as we come to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded our whole lives belong to Jesus. When Jesus called us to take up your cross, he says, and follow me. That wasn't just part of you. That was your whole life, your whole self. And this sacrament, as we eat bread and drink from the cup, reminds us whom we belong to, reminds us what our mission is. And we remember. See, Jonah was forgetting a lot. But he even says, he remembers when pressed, I fear the Lord. In the middle of your storm, can you remember the Lord? To fear him, to be in awe of him, and to remember the sacrifice that he has made. And may the bread and cup be the empowerment, his presence. Remember, God is with us through every storm. I know to whom I belong. And Lord, I will seek to be on your mission, not my own personal mission. See, when you put your faith in a God who never sleeps, guess what? You can sleep peacefully. So let's ask again, what keeps you awake at night? Have you forgotten to whom you belong? Let's spend time remembering the presence of the Lord as we come to the table. See, the great king and creator is here the one who has embraced you with his mercy and grace. And the Apostle Paul reminds us with the very story of Jesus. He says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take this and eat this remembrance of me. Would you get your bread and cup out right now? And let's hold that bread together as we think about the Lord Jesus our true king, he's coming back. He's going to take us home. New bodies, new life, new heavens, new earth. But until that day, we keep remembering to whom we belong. We keep remembering our mission is to keep glorifying him. Let's eat this bread together, remembering King Jesus.
In the same manner, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and he says, this cup is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. As we hold this cup together, we think about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and then we think about an empty cross, the costly love of Jesus. It's empty because he rose from the dead and he's coming back again. Let's drink this, remembering the blood of Jesus, forgiveness of sins. Then the apostle Paul closed by saying, as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Friends, this is not legend. This is true. King Jesus died for you, for me, and he's coming back to take us home. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we can be so forgetful like Jonah, forgetting to whom we belong, forgetting our mission. Lord, thank you for a holy remembering. We belong to you. We're on mission with you. And so, Lord, remind us that we are never alone. Remind us that whatever storm that they may come that we are in, we can cry out to you. I pray for anyone, Lord, who has not yet yielded their lives to you, that this would be another day, another step towards saving faith. Remove any barriers, Lord, that prevent our friends and family for giving their lives to you. Prevent any barriers in, in our lives as Christians where we forget to whom we belong. And we resist, Lord, in fulfilling the mission you call us onto, which is to be disciple makers. Lord, thank you for your grace, but give us the power to obey. Thank you, Lord, that you never abandon us. And in Christ, you'll never let go. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.